0: talk about this plan of yours. I think it's good, except it sucks. So let me do the plan, and that way it might be really good. Wow. Oh, make me over. I'm on.
1: Hello and welcome to It's Good Except It Sucks, a movie by movie and television series by television series hurtled through the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This time we're taking another look at Captain Marvel, released in February 2019, when, it's safe to say, it did slightly better than A Dog's Way Home. I'm Tim Worthington and I'll have plenty to say about Captain Marvel shortly. Meanwhile, joining me to give her thoughts on Captain Marvel is writer Anna Kale. Anna, where can people find you?
0: Yeah, you can find me on social media, usually on Twitter, talking nonsense, sometimes about films, and I'm also trying that Threads thing, giving that a whirl, then if that works out, and yeah, on generally everything that'll have me. I also wrote a book about Down the Doors not so long ago, and that is still available in all good bookshops and in some bad ones as well.
1: Okay, so before we go any further, Anna, what happens in Captain Marvel?
0: Captain Marvel, essentially, for me, is about female friendship and the power of that, and also about identity and finding yourself. Okay,
1: well, Anna, how much did you know about Captain Marvel before you saw this film?
0: Absolutely nothing. So I hadn't really kind of paid much attention to it other than my husband saying, oh, you should watch this film. You'd really enjoy it. And I'm like, yeah, you know, add it to the list, but didn't really kind of pursue that until obviously recently. And I loved it. I really, really enjoyed it. I'm not a superhero film type person, as you might already gather. And yeah, I really liked this. It was a great film, really fun and a great watch and actually really liked kind of the underlying messages that kind of came through for me anyway and that the way that i saw this film really kind of resonated with me
1: well i'm glad that you well saying picked up on that is a little reductive but you know what i mean that those themes really resonated with you because i think that's why a it was such a huge success and b it drew so much ire from the sort of men who just didn't like it there's no reason I just didn't like it I don't think Brie Larson's very good not for any reason I just don't like it and this is one of the movies that I would hold up when people start going on about well the hilarious thing is they say oh they're just making these superheroes up now well that's what you do with superheroes for the start <laughs> but I would hold this up as one of the ones that really went in a different direction to you know what people might say when they're looking down their nose really say you should go and see this subtitled Brazilian film about a boy who divorces his parents instead
0: absolutely yeah there's so many layers to it and it's one of those films I think you can enjoy it whichever way you choose to do so so you could focus on the superhero aspect of it and the kind of the backstory and all that kind of stuff that goes along with watching a Marvel film I guess but you can also enjoy it for what it is which is a really well made well acted fun film kind of really well played out and actually there are some really great themes within it that really resonates with me I really enjoyed the aspect of it but I can also see that you can also enjoy it, you know, on surface value, you know, as as superhero-esque kind of film, which brings in all those elements that people obviously enjoy. For me, that aspect of it was fun, a little bit confusing at times because I don't really understand the backstory or the kind of the different links with the other films in the universe. I didn't know who the goodies were and who the baddies were, and to be honest, I don't think that mattered. I still enjoyed it and still enjoyed the story that was presented to me and got a lot out of it.
1: Well, the very slight backstory to it, which watching it again now, I did notice a little bit more than when I saw it the first time around. I'll come back to my reactions when it was announced the first time shortly. But basically, it's following one from Avengers Infinity War, where at the end, Nick Fury drops the pager that Carol gave to him in this and is calling her on it, you know, as um. half the universe is blinking out of existence. There's also, obviously, Nick Fury, but also Phil Coulson, who was in some of the films, but is mainly from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And I did actually think, if you didn't know who he was, was, and you went to see this and there's bits where he is a Skrull in disguise and he's not a Skrull in disguise he might be a bit confused as to whether he's a good guy or a bad guy <laughs> yeah. really I do kind of really see that but when this was first announced I was really excited because when I say Captain Marvel Carol Danvers she was originally Ms Marvel who's now a different character I'm sure we'll mention again who has changed their name a couple of times over the years but has predominantly been Captain Marvel had sort of come in around the time I've very first started getting Marvel comics when I was extremely young. And it was in the late 70s. I mean, some of them look clunky now, but there was a very determined attempt that, I would say it was 50% trying to trademark names before somebody else did a Spider-Woman, if you see what I mean. Mm. And 50% reflecting the fact they needed more, not just positive female characters. You know, There were people like Black Widow and Gamora around before that, but they were from sort of unrelatable backgrounds in a way, whether it was, you know, Soviet, Russia, or space. And they needed more sort of, not just successful, strong women making it on their own sense, but with problems to deal with as well. Like, for example, well, in the case of Spider-Woman, she doesn't want to let on the fact that she's actually many decades older than she appears to be. I'm not going to the whole backstory there. <laughs> She-Hulk... It's an exaggeration to say she doesn't get on with her human form, but they are very, very different temperaments, should we say. Mm -hmm. And with Ms. Marvel, as in Carol Danvers, it was to do with the fact she was somebody who was very informed by second wave feminism. And it was reflected in the fact that she's having to argue about pay and things like that. It wasn't just, she's got possibly amongst the strongest powers in the entire Marvel universe, but she still has to deal with the actual fights that come every day with being a woman. There mm. was one time, because it's difficult to judge this from this distance, because there were less women writing the comics in those days, but it was mm. predominantly men writing these things, and they really came unstuck with, I don't want to go too far into it, but the storyline where, you know the age-old thing of a bad guy who uses mind control to convince everyone he's great, and to find out he's not, and he's up to mm. something, and Carol had kind of a, if you say, romantic attachment with him, and was left questioning, was that consensual? it wasn't mm. brilliantly handled. But you can also say they had a go, but maybe they shouldn't have had a go. <laughs> they should have got mm. some women in specifically to write it. But irrespective of all that, there's this idea that boys like boys comics and girls like girls comics, and I loved all of them. And mm. the Dazzler as well, who's sort of been forgotten about. It was a nightclub singer who could control light and <laughs> basically fought crime in her spare time. <laughs> the intention with her was to have tie-in albums that never happened. Right. But I thought there were no different to me than, say, Iron Man or Daredevil. Or so. They were just characters to me. They were just other characters. And I look back and I think, that was a really positive reinforcement to have made on a really impressionable male reader.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? That thing you always, think, I guess it's like an automatic kind of knee jerk reaction to anything that involves a woman in terms of character. And you get that in other types of films as well, that kind of conversation. And it's just so tiring, you know, this thing that men or boys can't relate to female characters, and you get in books as well as obviously comics things like that and it's just so tiring and predictable and it's you know it's 2023 and we need to move on from that right now it shouldn't be part of the conversation but yeah it still continues to be so well
1: that brings me neatly into something i was really looking forward to asking you about because obviously it's got a 90s setting yeah i suspect your musical tastes around that time may have been very similar to (laughs) carol and maria's so what did you think of it in terms of the period setting
0: oh i loved it i absolutely loved that period setting i wasn't expecting in that you know I didn't look too closely into the film before I watched it because I didn't want to have any preconceptions so that was a lovely surprise for me that it was set when it was set and I kind of slowly worked it out as the film went along that that was the setting and obviously through the soundtrack which I thought was great a really kind of female-led kind of guitar band empowering soundtrack it absolutely was the soundtrack to my kind of late teenage years as well which was great it was a wonderful surprise to me that that was the setting because I absolutely loved that and really related to it but yeah the soundtrack was great I loved that part of the film that really drove it forward for me in the way that they used the music and the period to kind of build this picture. That was great, I loved that. I really liked
1: as well, I mean this goes across a few things in the setting, but the fact that it wasn't all obvious mm-hmm. records on the soundtrack I mean obviously you know you did have connection by Elastica and so on, but there were a few lesser heard choices in there and I would say that's reflected in the image that I'm going to say they deliberately meet during the filming was the branch of Blockbuster that she crashes into when she <laughs> arrives on Earth. You know, that's a very obvious retro joke to make, but inside i have being really struck by the videos that are on display, because it isn't the Lion King and Schindler's List, you know, the big hitters of the time. It's stuff that would have been left in the video store. There's true lies, and she accidentally <laughs> destroys the display <laughs> for him, blows Arnie's head off. The Hudsucker Proxy. Yeah. There's quite a few copies off on the shelves. It is like what would have been there when the store locked down overnight, and I really, I can't say it's quite the same as resonating with the Feminist themes in it but that <laughs> really sort of struck me and hair searching Alta Vista as well in a web yes. cafe yeah,
0: in a cafe yeah, it's no, things it that were great. incidental
1: to your life around them rather than what you're told with the dominant themes of it
0: absolutely and that attention to detail really made it for me you know like you say I was going to mention the Alta Vista thing and the internet cafe as a concept anyway you know kind of it took me right back but yeah the little details like you say it wasn't too overt it was nicely done and it kind of they were the things that you were used to and kind of experienced and it wasn't in your face, oh we're gonna make this nineties film look here something really obvious. It was those little details and I think that really kind of puts it apart from other films that are trying to do period and can't because they're trying too hard. This it tried hard but in a different way. It was really great the way it used those little details. And you're right with the go back to the soundtrack I love the use of elastica and garbage and kind of other female fronted bands that you know meant something to me at the time and probably other women who were maybe watching that film and other people who were watching the film, but yeah, it wasn't the obvious big hitters necessarily, and I really loved that. You know, they didn't kind of try and shoehorn in something that wouldn't have fitted with what her or a friend or you know whoever would have been listening to at the time. Great use of Elastica, actually. That really was amazing the way they used connection. I thought that was wonderful.
1: And also in the flashback scene, you see them singing "Kiss Me Deadly" in a bar, and that yeah. is perfect for you know because that was obviously supposed to be a few years before yes, the movie yeah. set, and that would be something they would have had as their night out anthem,
0: again, yeah. rather than
1: something more obvious.
0: Absolutely, yeah no, this is the thing, the shine away from using the obvious, I think, would really set it apart and I really appreciated that.
1: But as you say, the main focus, I think, in appreciative commentary about it, rather than the gentlemen who just don't like Brie Larson <laughs> is, as you say, the whole friendship thing running through it, and the importance of the fact that, because obviously Maria Rambo, who is one of her fellow pilots mm. we don't quite know how but she's been left bringing up Monica Rambo on her own, who, yeah. as I will mention, later becomes a significant character in their own right.
0: Oh, OK. I there are this, some yeah. hints
1: dropped towards that. But it really does show not just, you know, the strength of their friendship, but also the question of who does the washing up when the men have gone to fight Thanos or whatever. Well, it's them. And they even succeed. I wouldn't quite say they bring up Nick Fury's <laughs> feminine side. But they, just by being themselves, appeal to his better nature, his less aloof nature. Should we say. Yeah, and I get really to like St. that. Please, yeah.
0: Mr. Postman. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like obviously not knowing the character, I really liked that kind of relationship as it built through the film and the way the kind of the characters relationship to that. I really liked that. I don't know what bearing that has in terms of you know other films or other kind of that character, but yeah, I really liked that and the way that kind of was built in. Can we just talk about the name Carol Danvers because it really jarred with me because every time they said Carol and Carol Danvers as a name, I was assuming it was kind of like you know those annoying neighbor characters on an American sitcom. <laughs> It kind of had that feel to the name. It felt really at odds with that kind of world, you know, that you could have a superhero called Carol Danvers. expected it to be met with a kind of laughter trap as she walked in. But, yeah, Carol and Maria as a friendship, you could really feel that friendship, I think, when they were on screen together. And the relationship between Carol and Maria's daughter was lovely, actually. I really liked that. Because, obviously, you know, she hero-worshipped this friend of her mum's. She wasn't a superhero then. She was just a strong woman who'd achieved some great stuff, you know was really like obviously inspired this young girl and that's lovely to see you know that's something that as the mom of a young daughter i can really relate to that and that kind of the importance of those relationships and those figures in a young woman's life a young girl's life as she's growing up you know someone to admire because without all the superhero stuff that you know this girl's mom and her mate did some great stuff they were like you know fighter pilots or whatever that's an amazing thing who is this person are we in the right what the hell are you think
1: you don't belong
0: out here. I think we went back too far.
1: You let him drive.
0: Let me drive something. not strong enough. <laughs> You'll yourself. They'll never let you fly. Am um, I the only one that's confused
1: here? You're a DC pilot you're too, too emotional. emotional. You do know why they call it a cockpit, don't you? On, down, a
0: huge rumble throughout the cosmos shook the moon and the sun
1: and the stars in the sky. And so, little Alouette flew up
0: throughout the night. Did
1: you see her? Your butts inside it's time to eat prepare for takeoff lieutenant trouble Woo-hoo!
0: charming
1: memory hang on And I also loved, I mean, this is something I didn't pick up on the first time, maybe, but the way Maria is written is that there are moments where she suddenly asserts herself as, hang on, on top of everything else, I'm a highly decorated military officer. <laughs> yeah. And particularly what she tells, a green alien standing in the kitchen. If <laughs> he calls that young lady again, she will put her foot somewhere it shouldn't be. Yeah. And he doesn't understand that reference either.
0: And sometimes you forget that, what you've achieved sometimes, when you're just getting on with doing other stuff stuff. It's like, oh yeah, actually, no, I am. I mean, I'm not saying I am a decorated military hero, because I'm really not, but you know, it's that kind of aspect of just, yeah, okay, yeah, I've achieved all this stuff. When we kind of build that picture of Carol's past and the pilot stuff, I loved the Top Gun kind of-esque visual references in flashback. You could say they took my breath away as they... (laughs) But yeah, I really loved that and I was genuinely expecting the Wendy Lawson character to be played by Kelly McGillis instead of Annette Benin. I thought that would have been an amazing, amazing casting choice but obviously it wasn't. Yeah, I loved that, the way that kind of was built in. So it was very fun actually for me that they kind of used those references. I know he's kind of happy back to the 80s but it was a very fun film for those kind of reasons, you know, that they weren't afraid to play with it, play with the visuals and be a bit kind of, a bit silly with it as well. Well, that's what I took from that anyway. I don't know whether that's just me.
1: Well, and Another reference that I think is worth mentioning at this juncture is Goose the Cat.
0: Yes, exactly. I was going to say Goose. I was
1: like, oh. I would say I particularly appreciated the way that they didn't portray Goose as plucky or cutie. It was just <laughs> a slightly <laughs> aloof and askance cat who I'm occasionally like... eats aliens whole.
0: Yeah, exactly. And obviously, the Goose name, it obviously harks again back to the whole Top Gun thing. My husband happened to pass by the door as I was watching it, and I shouted out to him, there's a cat in it. <laughs> Yeah, I loved that character. Would you, you know it was Goose an actual character? I think so. The one thing that really
1: wrong-footed me, which I appreciate you won't have noticed because you know you won't have done anything <laughs> about them, was traditionally in the comics the Cree, who are the race that obviously Carol becomes part of. Yes. Are broadly speaking, you know, some of them aren't very nice, but overall they're the good guys. Oh, they're the they're good guys. They're the guy. advanced oh, right, okay. super race. They are mostly benevolent. The scrolls, by and large, are not. Okay. They're usually antagonists. But in here, obviously, it's slightly flipped. I mean the Kree had already been established in a couple of previous things as up to no good. Okay. But the scrolls are sort of they are the victims of a war, whether they started it or not. They've been displaced, they're on the back foot, they're refugees, and mm. I felt that made for a really interesting dynamic, because it's flipped, because it's not the usual Beauty and the Beast thing. Mm. It's not saying they were never monsters in the metaphorical sense, but the usual thing is that, you know, the ones who look like monsters turn out to be
0: good. Mm.
1: It's more they turn out to be the ones in
0: need, I think. Yeah, and there's a real vulnerability to them, I think, from that point of view. I love the fact that Ben Mendelssohn was in this, by the way, I'm a big fan of him and his work so when I saw that it was him I was like oh okay this has brought it to a whole new level for me and he was great in it but yeah it didn't help me to understand who was who and who was the goody and the baddie and I actually really liked that aspect to it for me that there was that confusion because I think that helped me to kind of navigate the story without having those preconceptions but also that feeling of there are people in need they might be perceived as baddies or good it depends on what your point of view is but it's like well these are people who need help and for whatever reason they're at odds with some other people and it's just yeah kind of the vulnerability aspect i think was really affecting for me
1: there was as i say though that very unfortunate reaction to it, which i would say pointing at the box office takings now positive it received and so on is a minority reaction that was given a much louder voice than it should have had the knee-jerk reaction to the idea of anything i mean i remember somebody saying to me at the time oh i see they've made captain marvel a woman now yeah <laughs> Well, well done for seeing that, but it does make you very uneasy when reducing this down quite a lot. There was a lot of an attempt to publicly shame, should we say, Brie Larson for her opinions on, which as far as I'm concerned are mostly, you know, very positive opinions on various political issues. Same has happened with Letitia Wright, who plays Shuri, mainly in the Black Panther films. Made a few questionable comments about, you know, make you think, do your own research about the pandemic. And that was blown up into a much bigger thing than it actually was. And Iman Vellani, who plays Ms. Marvel, was apparently told to close all her social media accounts when she was cast Mm. because of all this. People cannot just accept that something is not for them or even if they're angry about it, just leave it where it is. This idea of hounding people who were involved really really unnerves me and I think Brie Larson's done really well to rise above it but it doesn't change that it did happen and all she did was appear in a film that's a bit like a 90s sci-fi film
0: yeah it's incredibly disappointing isn't it as you say to kind of still have those kind of reactions when for whatever reason people feel uncomfortable with something that doesn't quite fit their standardised viewpoint of how something should be I had no preconceptions about Brie Larson coming to watch this film I thought she was great in it she was feisty she was fun she kind of really played with the role. I liked the performance that she gave. I wish she'd tied her hair back. I think that, that was the only thing that didn't ring true for me, is that when you're doing stuff, speaking as one with long hair, when you're doing lot like, you tie your hair back, you, you have a bobble on your wrist just in case every time, you know, you think you might have to fight some aliens or something, because yeah, her hair was getting in her eyes a bit too much for me. But apart from that, I loved her performance. But as I say, I had no preconceptions about it. I think people come to these films with this agenda, and nothing will stop them from laboring their ridiculous points to an audience of no one, just to themselves, really. Yeah, it's a shame, I think, that people had that reaction, because I think, you know, she was great in it, you know, I don't see why it would have been any different, but it's quite funny you're <laughs> saying about people, oh, they've met Captain Marvel a woman, that, that's very funny.
1: It's like with Jodie Whittaker as Doctor Who, though. Yeah. That kind of a challenge of the status quo seems to really unnerve people for some reason, and given that they don't see how to explain why, I can't explain why.
0: No, and this is of a really loud voice, you might have said earlier, you know, a louder voice than they should have had, really in terms of you know actually as you say the box office takings for this film were pretty huge and it was a really successful film you look at Doctor Who you you know Jodie Whitaker in that she obviously brought in a new audience and people related to her and enjoyed watching her on screen it's like there's this like minority who shout the loudest and are really uncomfortable with these things but yet somehow find the platform to voice that to themselves you know it's like a circle isn't it You kind of by voicing it and bringing it up constantly they're not helping themselves they're not changing people's views on it and they are as far as I'm concerned the minority they're just a really loud minority, it seems.
1: And also, it tends to be people who just are not invested in what they're complaining about either. Yeah. I mean, the people who were furiously indignant about Phoebe Waller-Bridge being in an Indiana Jones film. Yeah. I don't imagine with that wedded to the franchise... <laughs> no. <laughs> we have to put up with it and it's both it's all directions as well it's you know you get the artistic snob saying for example oh well there shouldn't be an indiana jones film anymore there should be a new clever thing that i've approved of and you know you've got people say oh i don't want minorities and things and why can't you just let people watch things and enjoy them if they're not doing you any harm exactly
0: and yeah revisiting characters reinventing them changing it that's all part of it part of the experience Those in reinterpretations of characters i think are really interesting you know you want someone to bring something new to the table when they kind of revisit a story or a character. And I think they're all the more interesting for that. And, yeah, it always seems to happen. It happens in other aspects of film culture as well. You know, I'm quite active on Twitter talking about films with people, but you see, you get the same, constantly you get the same conversations happening, you know, about people asking Martin Scorsese why he doesn't like superhero films, yet the same things kind of keep recurring again and again. It's frustrating we can't get beyond those quite basic arguments. And they're an argument without any base, often, as well as well, which is really frustrating. You could have an interesting conversation with someone about something and that's fine, but often the people are saying these things about you know female characters in films. They don't know what they're saying and why they're saying it. They're just saying these things and it's just so frustrating. So one of the things that I picked up on, because again, it might come from a position of not knowing the backstory, but I found Jude Law quite a toxic character. I don't know whether I was supposed to or whether that was just me. I love the fact that he's in it because again, that's another like 90s throwback for me, you know, kind of having Jude Law coming onto the screen kind of fitted with the period of the film but also he was an interesting character for me and at one stage he said to Carol I made you the best version of yourself in a really quite toxic way and yeah it was just really interesting the way that that character kind of ebbed and flowed for me not knowing the background I mean you think he's a positive character at the beginning and then it kind of shifts and changes and I don't know where I'm supposed to stand with him and you know he kind of really confused me as to what that character is and what that relationship is it's just it was interesting I think to kind of have those nuances and kind of doubts in my mind actually of who's who and what they stand for
1: well I think you've hit the nail on the head there just because oh, your general observations because Jon Rog in the comics was a conflicted character oh, because okay. he was supposed to be you know a noble Cree warrior at the same time as being held up as the ultimate sort of example of perfect genetics and he has kind of a toxic male side to him rather than yeah. being consumed by toxic masculinity full stop if you see what I mean it's fluid it ebbs and flows and so I Obviously, they captured it well here. If that's exactly what you picked up from it as well.
0: Yeah, I think that's really interesting, actually, because yeah, again, there's kind of that nuance to it, and that yeah, the doubt in my mind. That rings true in life, doesn't it? You know, those kind of characters. So that's really interesting to know that the background originally that character was conflicted, because that really actually did come across for me. And
1: also, there's a little bit of, I would say, toxic femininity in a sense with Minerva Gemma Chan's character. Yeah, it was a little bit bitchy, should we say?
0: Yeah, it was. <laughs> Yeah, it was really bitchy. Oh, God, yeah. Again, there is a bit of a trope, isn't there, in it? female-orientated films and characterisations to have a bitchy female in there, which is disappointing in a way that, again, that that was brought into this film, into that story. But, you know, those characters are present in our lives. But, yeah, she was really bitchy.
1: Also, I would say some real praise should go to somebody who people, I would say, almost forget was in this because she's in it in such short bursts. It's mm-hmm. a that? Net- Benning as yeah. Bell stroke Wendy yeah. Lawson who really really inhabits the conflict of that character well because yeah, she she's trying to do right by so many different parties all at once even by Carol and I think she really comes across so sympathetically yeah it's such a good performance and this isn't that Benning we're talking about it's not somebody who just would rock up in a franchise movie normally but she really gives it her all
0: yeah I think the casting was great actually I think she she basically embodies what it's like to be a woman you know and to have that conflict within yourself and trying to do the right thing by everybody the use of that character was really interesting but yeah actually there are some really interesting aspects I think that could have been maybe even teased out more it was an interesting character and you're right that kind of internal conflict yeah you saw that come out in Benny's performance I think
1: well Marvell originally originally in the comics was male not an oh. interesting or much loved character I would say and it has sort of flipped over towards Wendy in more recent times. But there's a deliberate decision to use a female mentor rather than, mm. you know, a comic's true version of Marvel in that context. And yes. I think that really came off here. Yeah, all the
0: better for it, I think. It did bring an additional aspect to it. Then also that relationship and the kind of the conflict within Carol when she realizes things aren't quite as she expected and when her kind of memories start coming back and all that kind of stuff is yeah actually it brings a whole new meaning to that because obviously this was one where she really looked up to having that as a female character I think brings a whole new kind of dimension to it really I mean there are some aspects to this film that really also were a bit of a metaphor for experiencing the menopause I mean you know when she's under attack and she starts to that glowing thing with her hands and stuff you know it brings a whole new meaning to the phrase having a hot flush I do have
1: to ask though did you ever get told you look like somebody's disaffected niece while you're wearing a nine inch nails t-shirt
0: <laughs> no but that was a great line I loved that and I loved the, the that whole kind of played that reminds me
1: a lot of women that I knew around that time.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I love the fact she had the flannel. Lose the flannel, that was what Fury said to so, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. that was a great aspect to it. Yeah, it's, it's a really playful film, actually. You know, there, There's a lot of messages and a lot of, kind of deeper stuff there, but you know, there's a lot of fun to be had with it as well. And I think me watching these kind of films, coming to it with a different, I guess, experience of cinema and film appreciation, I think it's really helpful. And I, I've got a whole new appreciation for action films and superhero films, I think, from pushing myself to do that and not having that fear of Some of the things I've talked about, the thing of not knowing the backstory or not knowing the characters, and think, well, I won't know what's going on and I won't be able to enjoy it as much because I don't know who that person is or who's the baddie, who's the goodie and all that kind of thing. But actually, it doesn't matter, and it brings a whole. It's a great experience to just watch the film and enjoy it and kind of look on it with new eyes. Although to be honest, I've looked at action films differently since I did some rifle shooting with a load of teenage boys on holiday a few months ago. Kind of actually using a rifle and using a gun. I am kind of like. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of really into this now, and I kind of want to watch with films where, where women shoot people yeah it's kind of it just bring you know me having a, maybe a different kind of background in film watching actually is the best way to see these films because I have a different appreciation for them I'm not as invested maybe in the finite detail and I love them even more so for that so I love seeking them out and kind of watching them and kind of really getting something from them because I think you know people have this this kind of way of seeing that they're blinkered because it's something uncomfortable for them or they think they shouldn't be watching films like this you know if they have a background maybe more watching but I have cinema or whatever but this is a, an example of a great story well told and that's what cinema and what film is about and you know there's absolutely nothing wrong with kind of coming to that from a different position because I think you get more value out of it. Well there have been a couple of
1: really positive developments going forward from it I mean at the moment the trailer is now out for the Marvels which is a team-up film with Carol the adult Monica Rambeau played by the Naparis okay. who's been in one division previously and also Iman Valada as Muzz Marvel who long story short was a Carol Danvers fangirl who discovered that she had abilities herself from a Muslim family in New Jersey and so basically has to sneak out after doing her homework to fight crime <laughs> and so they're all teaming up with Goose in that oh
0: that sounds great
1: there was also came out of there was an animated show called What If based on the Marvel comic What If which is basically it's a sort of thing where what if X person got these abilities instead the Y person and so on but they did an alternative narrative of the films where it started with what if Peggy Carter became Captain America and it went on and on. That culminated in Lashana Lynch as Maria being Captain Marvel in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. So we got to see Maria as Captain Marvel. Oh wow. But the most interesting thing comes directly from the post-credits scene in this. Now I'm wondering what you made of that before we go any further.
0: I was confused. I was like the post-credits scene because I find it fascinating because I've no again no concept of what came next in the series. And I was trying to work it out. I did eventually kind of work out from who was on screen as to what film it might be referring to. Um Yeah, if any I mean, I don't know why you're listening to it if you've not seen
1: it, but if you've not seen it, yeah. basically it's Black Widow, War yeah. Machine, Bruce Banner, and Captain America looking at the pager, trying to work out why it's not sending <laughs> yeah. a signal. And then Carol appears looking, I would say, older and more universe weary. And so yeah. where's Fury? Yeah. And obviously that was a lead into Avengers Endgame, where I mean this is one of the reasons they held Captain Marvel back at first, despite being one of the few female characters they actually had the rights to, was that she was so powerful she could have derailed the storyline. But in that, she fights the universe's most powerful being, and there is one remarkable shot where he headbutts her and she just stares at him. (laughs) And she nearly, nearly stops him all by herself. And when I was leaving the cinema, there was a little girl almost jumping up and down, shouting to her clearly disinterested mother. Captain Marvel nearly stopped him! She nearly stopped him, mummy! And That felt really significant to me. That's like I would have talked about the live-action Spider-Man when I was that age. They edited some of the TV episodes together into a film (laughs) and put that on in cinemas. And I'm sure I would have been like that. And it was just lovely to see that.
0: Absolutely. And that's what it's all about, isn't it? It's inspiring young minds and young imaginations. And that's essentially what it's all about, what value that these kind of characters and stories can bring, you know, to have that excitement in a young person, whatever their gender, you know, to see someone they can see and they look up to on screen i think is obviously it's echoed in the storyline we we're talking about obviously earlier about you know a, a young girl looking up to a, a young woman who's achieved things that's such an important aspect i think of these films that you can have that you can relate to them but also you can be inspired by them and excited by them and i think that's an incredible thing and should be celebrated more
1: okay well there's only one thing left me to ask now anna if you had a cat that could swallow hostile entities whole what would you use it for
0: well i'd use it to save women on twitter I I think i think I, I just unleash it every time i get a reply guy in my mentions
1: <laughs> i don't know if there's anything i can actually add to that anna thank you and excelsior thank
0: you
1: if you've enjoyed this you can find more editions of it's good except it sucks and plenty more besides including details on my book can't help thinking about me at timworthington.org.